HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Tillit NYC, hospitality uniforms for work and life. Look better, feel better, cook better. Visit us at tillitnyc.com. That's T-I-L-I-T-N-Y-C.com. It's Friday, January 20th. I'm in Round Top, Texas. It's outside of Austin. There's a three times a year antique festival here um, that a lot of designers come out to to pick really ornate, unique pieces for restaurants and hotels. So I'm down here trying to see if I can find some cool furniture um, or any kind of... uh, Decorative pieces, sconces, those kinds of things. No luck yet, but we'll keep looking. Welcome back to The Build, the newest season of Opening Soon. We are your hosts. I am Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. Last time we talked to Eric and Team Ursula and really explored the idea that while there might not be an I in team, you certainly have to make sure that you put together a, a group of people and a team so that the I, meaning you, is still standing at the end of the day, which, you know, basically, you know, that you have a good team that allows you to be a healthy um, and productive person and part of that team as well. And I think also it's been really interesting about watching Eric's process is that he not only builds team, but he also builds community. So he has this very DIY vibe, but it's not DIY and there's just the one I, it's DIY community. DIY. DIY. So for the past five episodes, you've heard about Eric going from hunting for his new space to signing the lease on that said space. He has assembled his core team. And after all of this heavy lifting, we thought we'd talk about one of the more fun parts of the building process for your dream space, the design process. Yes. We previously heard that Eric was stuck in this sort of permit purgatory, but thankfully, most of the renovations that they are doing in the space were actually pretty cosmetic and didn't really need permits to be pulled, which is very complicated and you guys have already heard about. So luckily, Eric and Lonnie were able to start making some design choices with their pro bono designer and get the really fun process of beautifying this formerly drab crepe space up and running. Yep. So today we'll hear a little bit more about uh, the decisions that go into 
bringing your restaurant's identity th out through the aesthetics of the space and you know some of the processes that they could put in place so that the flow of the space is nice when your customers come in, when, how they get seated, how they place a to-go order, how they get a drink, um, all those things that really make the, you know, the interior journey of the customer um, feel great about the space that you've created. So just a little note from us and the editing team as you're listening to today's podcast, you may feel like a ping pong ball going across different tasks, themes, and times, and that's partially true. There's a lot happening, but up until this point in the season, it may have seemed like Eric was just doing things one at a time, checking them off his list, but that is all not reality. We are all multitaskers and... I like to say that moms and entrepreneurs are master multitaskers, which is exactly what's been happening. So the reality is that opening your dream restaurant requires many hats, many, many, many juggling balls in the air. And as a restaurateur, you often have a lot of things on your plate constantly. And as we get closer and closer to opening, we wanted to show you just how many things Eric is juggling at this very moment. Today is Tuesday, February 28th, uh, 2023. It's been about three weeks since we've caught up with Eric. Um, I don't know what's happening in the world. I feel like we've been very busy and my head has been underwater and swamped with meetings. So we're going to skip that part for today and dive right into what's happening and new in your world, Eric. Today, I just received a bunch of tile that we had shipped from Morocco for the front of the bar. I got my first liquor shipment today. Um, website's almost done. We're finishing it up with Bento that'll launch when we relaunch. Uh, all the furniture is here. We have to now sand and stain all of it. I also got selected to be one of the, one of 15 chefs from around the country to go to, um, the James Beard policymaking boot camp in, which is actually taking place in my hometown in Albuquerque this year. Wow. Yeah, exciting. Outside of that, um, we're still being hung up by DOB permitting. Lonnie, Lonnie let our architects team have it yesterday. Uh, tell us more. Have you seen that meme with like the three Spider-Mans all pointing at each other? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it's been like. And we're like in the middle of them. Like they were very, very responsive when we were doing walkthroughs, when I went to walk through other spaces each of those is like a $500 fee, $450, I think, um, for them to come walk through and just check out the uh, conditions of the space to tell me if it's a good or bad idea. But then once the contract was signed with the proposal and the, the line of work that they would be engaging in and 50% uh, deposit on a $12,000 fee, all of a sudden everything slowed down and it took them like almost two weeks to get in here to do a pre-existing conditions inspection. And then like another two weeks for them to get us the preliminary uh, floor plan of that, which then my designer has to go in and put everything on top of. We had a Zoom with them because we've never gone through this process. And we're also not uh, certified to be able to do any of this. So you have to talk to us and tell us exactly what we need to do to keep this process moving along. Do we need to have a plumber come in and draw on this? Do we need to have the electrician draw on top of these floor plans? And both times they were like, no, 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 you don't need any of that. You can put it in there if you want for your general contractor. 
so that they have that information, but it's not required for this, they'll file their own thing. So we're like, okay, great. So we just need to have the designer put in where the counter is going to go and any new equipment. Um, but we're not doing a lot of, we're not doing any new hard wiring of electric work in here. And the plumbing needs is very minuscule. So the, our plumber only has to do like a limited work application because um, we're just putting in one new drain and one water inlet. But then uh, our designer, Wynn, drew the plan, sent them over. I did ask him, I was like, hey, if you guys are able to, can you just drop a little pin on the map where this drain will be just so that we have it so that I don't have to go back and forth. And he was like, well, I don't, we don't normally do the plumbing stuff. And I was like, okay. This is what the designer says, just to be, just to be clear. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, if that's not what they do, that's not what they do. But I was like, if you guys are already drawing on it and we're just doing this one drain, can you just denote that? Uh, But then our architect gets it back. It took like another week for them to be responsive. They love to send us everything at end of day on Friday. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, what are you doing any electric work? Where's all the lighting? Um, I don't see any of that denoted. What about like any new water fixtures or those things? And we were like, you told us we don't have to do that. And you said, yeah, but we have to mark it on here. And you said, I was like, we, you literally told us that we don't have to do this. And they, our plumber is responsible for that on their own. Um, you're slowing us down because now we're going back and forth. We could have had this already done. And he's like, yeah, well, it, you should put it on there. And we're like, are you, should we, or do we have to? Because those are two completely different things. And it was just like, well, we don't do that. Your designer does that. The designer's like, well, I don't do that. The plumber does that. The plumber's like, we don't normally do that. The architect does that. <laughs> and it's just been going around and around. And yesterday, Lonnie was like, we have to stop this merry-go-round. <laughs> and just, we need you to communicate with us. We need you to be expedient. We are paying you a lot of money, and even though it might not be a lot to you, it's a lot to our business. And you've been very unclear through your communication in this whole process. And she had a phone call with him last week about the the lighting in here and that we actually are not even allowed to go into the ceiling to hang lights, so everything is coming off of a pre-existing outlet and switch. And he had sent us a update and was like, well, we need to know if you're doing electric work. I don't see any of the lighting on here. And we are like, we had a phone call with you six days ago, and you said that that was fine. <laughs> and then uh, I, res- I said that in the email. I was like, we're using the pre-existing outlets. We already had a conversation with you about that. And he's like, oh, yeah, then that's fine. You don't have to. And we go like a whole five or six days without correspondence just to confirm what we had already confirmed. And yesterday he told Lonnie that it would be like 10 to 15 days before they can finish the plan, their pre-filing, whatever that means, to get ready to file, and that'll be 10 to 15 days. And Lonnie was like, no, that's not acceptable. You guys need to sit down and figure out a way to make this faster because you've slowed it down. You've uh, you've been ineffectively communicating with us and holding us up, and we're paying you too much money to do this. And so just so I'm understanding the, so essentially they were quoting you like 20 to 30 days because it would be 10 to 15 days and then another 10 to 15 days to get any permits. I, to be honest, I can't even keep track of it anymore because he also jumps back and forth in timelines when mm-hmm. he's communicating with us. So it'll be like, well, 
So this will take three weeks, but then two weeks before that we have to do this, and then on the fourth week this will happen, and then this and this, and it's it's hard to keep keep up. But when I was first talking to the architect back in December and was planning the whole scope of work and the process of this application, he well he was like I I've been getting uh, permits within a week in in New York and Brooklyn. And we're like, oh, okay, so we've got plenty of time if we get ahead of this. And we started this in the first week in January. Um, and here we are six weeks in at least, uh, seven, and we haven't even started filing. So it's been an incredibly frustrating process. And I, I saw um, Nico from Oxalis this week and was talking to him about it. He was like, oh, my God. Uh, my partner wanted to kill our architect when we were opening Oxellus. It's like it was <laughs> the most in, infuriating process. And I was like, okay, so this is par for course. So sounds like progress is being made in a lot of places. That you're, there's frustration with the architects, but it sounds like you're working around it. Yeah, it's a lot of cosmetic stuff. I was looking at these really pretty clay pendants um, online. They were like $200 each and they were going to have to be shipped from India. But they were also like six pounds each, which m might put the like the load bearing of the ceiling at risk. So my brother sent a picture of them to his friend who does a lot of 3D printing. And he was like, oh yeah, I can make those and I can make them by next week. Um, and for like $35 each. Oh my God. Look at that. You just saved yourself like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And a lot of time yep. and stress. And he, he, we gave him one of the uh, pendants that's in now. So he even printed it to fit exactly on the pre-existing like uh, wiring and structure, um, which is really cool. It's a, kind of incredible what you can do with 3D printing. What's the material that it's going to be made out of? I'm like fat. My mind is blown a little bit. I guess it's plastic, so we have to put an LED bulb in there because it can't hold up to heat, but um, it looks exactly, the pictures he sent me look exactly like uh, the the photos online of the other ones. Amazing. I know last time we talked like where the Clover terminal was going to go, and I, you know, I, you just mentioned flow of service, you're still figuring out. So where did you guys, did you, were you able to land on something or does it? not matter until you're really ready to open. Yeah, I think we're going to um, have to be a little bit fluid with all of that uh, and see how it works in the beginning. Um, I am I think I'm going to move away from the self-service idea for now just to maintain a certain level of hospitality and organization. Um, so we'll have like a, a takeout uh, terminal at the front of the bar, but then at the back end to move people down that are going to sit inside, we'll have a second terminal. Um, and so there'll be somebody running takeout, somebody doing the in-house uh, ordering. And it'll, I think we're looking at a hybrid model, which I think I've mentioned before of counter and table service. Order at the counter, we bring you your food, but then also refill the water, check in. There'll be, I think we're going to work with something that would give you an individual QR code once you've ordered so that if you want to add anything to it, you just do it from your table. So if you decide you want a, another drink, you don't have to go up and order it. You can just do it from your table and then we'll bring it right out.
And the, the, I know the furniture, you had been worried because you had ordered stuff from, was it Morocco or they're making that up? The bar stools came from Morocco. Okay, uh, and they came on the time. The chairs and benches came from Colorado. Mm-hmm. And everything's there and just manual labor to get it done. I'm sitting in one of those chairs right now. <laughs> so you recently had a trip home to New Mexico, see some family, see it Ursula. Did. Um, was that a little bit of a break or was that, did you feel more stressed? How are you? Oh, it was not a break because it was a family, kind of a family emergency. I went home to see my godmother, uh, who had been in the hospital for 11 days. Um, she was doing much better. She was back at home when I got to see her, but it was just important for me to make time for my family back home. Uh, she helped raise me. She's a big part of my my childhood and my life and hopefully the future. I got some really incredible artwork from a New Mexican artist uh, that I brought back with me for the wall here. And then I did go see Ursula. I was only there for a little over 24 hours, so definitely was not a break. But Ursula is super excited and is planning her trip out here <laughs> for the opening, waiting on bated breath. Remind us how old Ursula is. 89. 89. And she's ready to fly over for opening weekend. Oh, she's ready to fly here every week if she could. (laughs) But I'm sure she's already got her outfit picked out to come out here and hang out. She loves getting all dressed up and talking to all the customers and telling everyone who she is. (laughs) (laughs) I took a, a big portrait of my grandma from her home when I was there last year and I brought it back and so there's this really big picture of Ursula above the espresso machine just like looking down at all the customers and all of us I love it that's gonna find its way to the new shop too right yeah we're figuring out where exactly but she'll definitely be here so I can only imagine the way that she's gonna feel to see her face on the wall (laughs) (laughs) I mean maybe you need one of those like airbrushed murals of her she would she would love that. She's a Leo, so she'll take all the attention she can get. <laughs> so Alex and I started Till It about 10 years ago. I can't even believe it's been that long that we've been working together. It feels like an eternity, but also yesterday. <laughs> And since then, we've outfitted hundreds of thousands of chefs. We're so thankful for this community, as well as 6,000 restaurants across the country and globe, even. Alex, can you tell our listeners about Tillit, what makes it so special, and why we got started? Sure. Um, We got started with Tillit basically out of necessity. Um, I had been a chef for a long time, and I just didn't feel, you know, prideful in what I was wearing. I felt like the clothes were outdated. They weren't that comfortable or functional. Um, And so I essentially turned to uh, street clothes, and then that's sort of the point where we realized that, hey, maybe we should do something about this. Um, We started small with, you know, a few pieces, and, you know, I think that we, the biggest, you know, advantage of what Tillit is is that we started with a commitment to modernizing our uniforms and working with the people actually wearing the clothes. Um, So everything is super functional. We think about utility first, and we think about aesthetics, comfortability, 
ease of washing. So it's really workwear that you can wear in the kitchen and then also uh, continue to wear when you're out on the street. So if you're interested in getting some fresh gear for yourself or for your team, we have a treat for you, our loyal opening soon listeners. You can get 10% off when you visit us at tillitnyc.com. That's T-I-L-I-T-N-Y-C.com with the code opening soon. Opening soon. Welcome back to The Build. Previously, we talked about how we had retrofitted our Spartan trailer for our restaurant goods. So Alex, do you remember what the process was like for equipping the trailer with the POS and all the other fun little technology products? For technology, it was relatively standard, I think, in in comparison to other restaurants. Within the truck itself, I mean, the walls were a little different because they weren't sheetrock, they were metal. Um, they were stainless and like there wasn't a lot of room to, to run wiring and that kind of thing. Um, but the space was tiny, right? Goods was, you know, probably a fraction of the size of Eric's space. Um, so it was relatively simple and there wasn't, there were not a lot of terminals. There was only one POS system, um, where everything was rung up. So yeah, I think it was a, an easy process. Do you remember how it was with like sales reps and stuff like that? I don't really remember that I had that much contact with them. No, but I do remember like you signing up for like new accounts. That was kind of exciting actually with like, who are we sourcing the beef from? Who are we doing this from? Where we got a, we got our wine and beer license. We can finally get like a wine wrap. I do remember the wine tastings because that's the fun part. (laughs) Obviously me. And what about those pieces that we brought to Tillit? I mean, for Tillit... You know, I think one of the things that we've learned is that your vendors are really your partners. And I think we try to communicate that to our hospitality partners in our business because you want to rely on them. You want people to be reliable, you, you know, so I think that they can make and break your business if you don't have a reliable supply chain or something breaks down. So I think we've really, something we've learned along the way is to treat everybody like a partner. You mentioned at the top of the call you didn't get the Hello Alice grant. We're still waiting to hear from DoorDash. How does that put you in like a cash balance position? Um, I'm still doing okay right now. I'm I was doing my projected expenses that have not been paid out, like the second half of the architect's fee, the the rest of my SLA lawyer fee uh, versus what I've spent already. Um, So anticipated expense and what has been spent. I'm now at my initial projected budget with all of that, which means that I will go over a little bit, but right now it doesn't feel like I'm going to go over much. So that's really exciting because uh, you always you always have this hope uh, that you're going to be like I'm only going to spend fifty thousand dollars, and then by the end of it, it was like one hundred and seventy five, and you're like, oh. Uh-huh. Um, so knowing that we've gotten so much done, uh, and knowing what's outstanding, and that we're pretty in line with what I had projected, it makes me feel good. Good. I'll still take all the grants I can get. I'll take all the money. Uh, there's been a lot of. Uh, things that have helped align with our budget. We got all our dishes from Made In this week. 
Maiden is sponsoring our dinnerware, and that saved us a huge chunk of money. And they're the dishes that you wanted, the sort of more diner style. Tell us about them. Yeah, so I had been exploring what direction to go, like fiesta ware or like an earthenware ceramic style or a diner style plate. Partly because that's what you would see in a New Mexican restaurant and a, a more low-key New Mexican restaurant. But also a lot of those plates get put under broilers or salamanders. And so I need to make sure that the dishware can hold up to that high heat and hold up to my staff <laughs> and being thrown into a sink. And Maiden has these really beautiful, I think that they're porcelain. They're made in, they're made in England, but these these plates uh, that have this black rim on them and they've got a really nice weight to them. They seem super sturdy. They're capable of being heated up to 500 degrees, which means they'd be great for the salamander. They feel like they would handle a little bit of roughing around by staffs and bus tubs. And yeah, it just seemed they look, they look good on the tables. They really fit the bill for what we're trying to do here. They're, they're classy and elevated, but they're also not uh, too precious. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. That's exciting. Pieces are coming together. The cosmetic stuff is happening. Yeah. We also started meeting with liquor and wine reps, which has been very exciting. Mm-hmm. We had a really, really fun uh, meeting with Zevro. Uh, Jade at Zevro Selections came and met with me and Peter um, and Lonnie a couple weeks ago, tasted us through a bunch of spirits and some of her selected wines. Uh, she got here at six and we left almost at midnight. Oh my God. It was a, it was a, it was a fun time. It was one of those things where she came in with the stuff that we were hoping to see. But then when we got to really connecting and talking and having really great conversations, she was like, hold on, I got more stuff in my car. You need to try this. You need to try this. And then her friend showed up, too, that runs this other organization called Black Girls Drink. And so she came to drink with us. And then we were all just hanging out for hours. And it was really fun. Are these people that you're getting connected to through John DeBerry? Or you sort of like knew the distributors you wanted to work with? I knew some of the spirits that I wanted to carry. So it was a that it was kind of a matter of that. So... Jade and Zevro, uh, they stock Suncliff gin, and it's a Tucson-based gin, but it's queer-owned. They actually are here in Brooklyn, too. But they use high desert herbs that they go and forage themselves in southern Arizona. So it was very fitting to the theme here, plus it was queer-owned. I think I have mentioned this before, that we're putting a, a very strong emphasis on working with distillers, winemakers brewers or companies owned by women, black folks, LGBTQ plus POC people that are from marginalized communities and typically have less, less access to the market. So uh, the majority of our spirits will check those boxes. Uh, Jade actually introduced us to some other really interesting spirits that are like worker cooperative owned too. So that's a really interesting social uh, sustainability model that we're looking at exploring with some of our choices too. 
And that she, Jade specifically has this really incredible catalog and portfolio where she, it's like her own hand selects and it's all spirits and wines and ciders and co-ferments that are affiliated with any of those categorizations. So she was like the perfect person to bring in and start talking to about all of that. So at least some of the fun stuff is happening too. Yeah, yeah. time traveling yet again. So we're headed back over to Nostrand, which is Ursula 2.0, to get an update on how the renovations are going and to see what kind of fun new design elements have been put in. Will there be tiles? Will there be paint? What are we going to see? What's what's today? Uh, March 7th. Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday, March 7th. For first time back in about a month, I think, since we were here last. I don't remember. It's yeah. all a blur to me. It's all a blur. <laughs> Every day is the same. Um, we're, we just walked in the front door, and last time we were here, there was like framing for the bar, but no actual bar. Oh, you didn't see this yet. Nope, not the tabletop, just the framing for it. Um, so now. I see the tiles too. Yeah. So now we're here, and the fun part is beginning. There is tiles. I'll go on the front of the bar. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful, like light turquoise zilege tiles, if you've ever seen those. Yes. They call they call the color Tulum, but Tulum, um, excuse me. I uh, I say turquoise, yeah. And we have a few. This one's uh, a G and we're gonna throw a couple of these every once in a while. Beautiful. So there's a lot of stuff in the space now. So now when we walk in instead of the whiteboard being on our left, there's Tables and chairs. Well, it's, just, it's, a, it's just a mess in here right now. There's tables everywhere. Uh, the whole thing will be wrapped in tile or just the front? The whole thing will be wrapped in tile. We're talking about the bar. The bar, the countertop. Um, and then these are the other tiles for the bathroom. Uh, swanky mirror tiles. You see the mirror bathroom. tile for the bathroom. Yeah, subway mirror tile. I'll show you. I started playing with them on the wall to see what they'll look like, but as we make our way back there. Yeah. We've got the shelves behind the bar that were stained to match the wood on the tabletops um, and the countertops. We're going to do some antiqued mirror behind it. Mm-hmm. And if we can get it finished in time, we might have like a little Easter egg behind one of the mirrors. Oh, etched into the back of the mirror. I'm really obsessed with La Llorona. Oh, yeah. I don't even it's know what that is. Can you tell the, us? Um, well, there's a lot of history behind it, but the, my, my connection to it was in New Mexico. Um, there was a, a public service ad uh, called um, Ditches Are Deadly, Stay Away. And we had these arroyos in New Mexico where all the, whenever we had flash floods, mm-hmm. you would channel the water uh, out of more dangerous areas, but kids liked to skateboard in them. So there was all these um, posters and signs everywhere to stay away from ditches and the mascot for the whole campaign was La Llorona, who is a indigenous and Mexican um, fairy tale urban legend of this woman who drowned her kids uh, in the river and then spent the rest of eternity walking up and down the river banks crying looking for them. Oh my God. Uh, but it was like you were always <laughs> taught to like... advertisement by the city. No? It, it was a cartoon version of her, but um, it was also... <laughs> that was just like one of those scary stories that I always liked when I was a kid and you were just told to stay away from ditches or stay away from riverbanks or La Llorona would get you. 
So <laughs> I'm, I'm personally terrified at this moment. Uh, there are stories that the story of La Llorona goes back to like pre-colonial Mesoamerica also, but then there's also some storylines that attach it to La Malinche. I don't know if you know who that figure is. She's thought of to be as like the birth of the fe- first Mexican because uh, she had a baby with, I think, Oñate, one of the Spanish... Conquistadors. Uh, yeah. And also known as like the great betrayer mm-hmm. of the indigenous people in Mexico because she was going back and forth between the indigenous communities and the colonial settlers and kind of giving away all their secrets. So there's a lot of there's a lot of history behind the story of La Llorona. Wait, so tell me how does the egg S in the back of the mirror tie my, that in? Just that it's gonna my brother is gonna try to etch uh, her face into the back uh, of the mirror so that if you're like walking by and you you'll catch it in the mirror, like looking at you. That's creepy. <laughs> creepy. <laughs> and it'll be like behind the bottles too, so yeah, it's a, I like those little things that when you're sitting down at the table like waiting for food like, or wait, is that or yeah, or like on a really bad date and you're just like looking around and then you find <laughs> little weird little things in the design. There's um, the hell's the name of it? There's a Mexican restaurant over in Gowanus that has really weird stuff hidden in the Power. shelves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And their artwork, the the murals on the wall, I really love. Okay. But they have all kinds of weird like little dolls and things hidden in the shelves of the liquor cabinet. I love it. I'm gonna go back and look. Coming up next on The Build. Just a very um, soft, floral, smoky aromatic that reminded me of being in church. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, Palo Santo is a churchy, okay. apostolic scent. So they're kind, of like, they're kind of like the same. Yeah. I wasn't sure what churchy herbs actually <laughs> Well, I'm like, like frankincense, myrrh. Have you not been to church before? Build is produced by Armin Spingen, Taylor Early, Matt Patterson, H. Conley, Alex McCreary, and me, Jenny Goodman. And a special thanks to Eric C. and Lonnie Holiday for all of their willingness and time to share with us on this journey. A very special thank you to the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for their support of Taylor's work as the Julia Child Writing Fellow. Our audio engineer for this episode is H. Conley. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Opening Soon is a production of Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Leaving the Antique Fair didn't find a ton of Southwestern stuff, but I did come across this serendipitous experience. This man stopped us was like, where I'm having a divorce sale and he happened to have a bunch of stuff from New Mexico. He had a set of four chairs that I bought. He sold them to me for $15 each after he found out that I was from New Mexico and sending these to a restaurant in New York. Um, He used to live in New York and then lived in Taos with his wife for years and they're divorced and now he lives in Austin and he was selling everything. Uh, So I got some cute chairs.